You're listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes, where you'll hear real stories of the journey to modern manhood told by the men who lived them. Raw, real, and 100% unapologetic. And now, here is your host, Eric Rogel. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Eric Rogel, and this is Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes. And today, I've got another great, real story of the journey to modern manhood told by the man who lived it. So today, I'm talking with Henry Crockett. Now, Henry played six years in the NFL. He played with the Falcons, the Broncos, the Vikings. But it's who had the most impact on him before he made it to the league, and it's what he did after he retired. That's the most powerful part of his journey. And his story is particularly interesting, and the timing is perfect because his early life is very similar to my last guests, but with a very different path and a very different outcome. So if you remember in the last episode, I was talking with Andre Norman, and Andre told us when he was younger, he had a talent for playing the trumpet. But he was pressured into dropping his dream of becoming a trumpet player because the guys in the, in the rough neighborhood that he grew up in saw it as dumb. They saw it as weak. They saw it as pointless. And instead, they steered him down the path of running with them, selling drugs and other crimes, which, as you remember, led him to prison. Now, Henry, even though his neighborhood, the neighborhood that he grew up in, even though it was similar to Andre's, Henry had a very different experience because his talent was an athletic talent. And the guys who ran his neighborhood put a much different kind of pressure on him, as you'll hear. And this caused an internal tug of war in him between his friends in the streets and what his future could be. And Henry is also going to talk about the men in his life who guided him once he made it off the streets and into the NFL. One in particular whose advice led him to create the Crockett Foundation, which was what he does now. Uh, He created this with his brother, Zach. And you may know Zach Crockett was also a star athlete, and he spent 12 years in the NFL. And the foundation they created together gives back to the neighborhood where they grew up. And those of you that are regular listeners know this, and if you're a first-time listener, welcome, but pay special attention to this because you're going to hear me say this over and over. But I talk a lot about the importance of having solid core values and about living those core values every day. And I and the men around me live by what we call, and you've heard me say this many times, we call it the sacred seven core values. And they are courage, honesty, integrity, commitment, duty, honor, and love. When you listen to Henry tell his story, you're going to see a lot of these values played out and how living by these values every day And, you know, by reminding himself of them every day, had a powerful, positive impact on his life. This is a story I know you're going to want to share with someone uh, that you know's life is going to move forward because they were inspired by listening to Henry. So when you're done listening, uh, do me a favor, make sure to send the link out. Help us make that impact. I promise the people you share this with are going to thank you for it. And I personally appreciate you for stepping up and helping us make a difference in people's lives. Okay. Thank you for that. So now let's get to Henry and his story. And 
because it was such a big part of shaping who Henry is today, I wanted to know about how he grew up. So Henry, tell me, tell me what it was like growing up, your neighborhood, the influences that were there, some of the things you experienced uh, as a young man growing up. Yeah, well, I grew up in Pompano Beach, Florida. Uh, and at the time it was labeled one of, uh, if not the top drug area in South Florida. You know, it was uh, one of those areas was one way in, one way out. You know, it was a, you know, it was an interesting childhood. It was an interesting neighborhood. Um, so tell, tell me what you mean by, by one way in, one way out. Well, you know, it's one of those things where you, you can only get in one way, you can only get out one way. Um, it was an area that nobody wanted to go to. My whole life, I never had cable because the cable companies wouldn't come out there and put cable in the areas, you know, because they was too afraid they'd be robbed or they'd be too afraid that people would be doing a lot of illegal things. Um, the piece of man never delivered to my neighborhood. The school buses never picked up in my neighborhood. Um, when they finally did get a school bus, one of the kids helped the school bus drive up with a knife. So they wow. did away with it. So it was, it was a pretty rough neighborhood, but it was also pretty interesting because a lot of the people in the neighborhood really were family oriented and they took care of each other. You know, it just happened to be one of those areas where you know, the drug kingpins and the drug dealers really ran the neighborhood, but they kind of, they, you know, not kind of, they did. They took care of the families and they, they took care of the people. And a lot of the elderly people, they really looked out for them. They'll bring food to them, bring meals to them. And if they were short on their bills, they paid their bills. You know, granted, the houses were extremely small. None of the houses was bigger than 750 square feet. You had like a 750 square feet home was considered big. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was just a tough neighborhood. Um, it was a neighborhood that, you know, you know, everybody grew up the same way. So you had no idea what the outside world was, was doing. You know, um, you know, if uh, we had our own basketball court. So it's like one of those places you was always confi confined to, for the, to that area. So you were never really exposed to what was going on in the outside. So it was really kind of an insulated yes. um, um, childhood. Like you just grew up. That's all you knew was just all what you knew. had there because you know no one had cars and no one had like you know it's a true ghetto it's a true hood like no one had cars and and no one ventured out so you know, that's why it's so big when you say you only know what you know you know and the only thing you knew was like you hang out on the corner or you go you know to the, the park and play basketball play football and we play football in the streets and you play tackling in the grass touching the street or we just turned like a field that was full of glass i got a lot of uh, cuts in my knees from falling on broken, um, broken a broken bottle, and the, the bottle stuck in my knee, stuck in my, you know, and that's those are the environments that we played in, you know, and but it built toughness, um, and it built camaraderie with the neighbors because at that point, if you got in trouble, I mean, the neighbor down the street can spank you, and call your mom and tell you and tell her that I spanked him because he was doing these things. So, <laughs> so it was it was always a tug of war, you know, because yeah. so much good came out of it, was so much so so much bad happening there especially the, the the later it got you know yeah so how was it for you because you were an athlete growing up and you've right. told me that being an athlete in that kind of neighborhood uh and you just said you know some of the drug dealers and some of these guys would look out for the people in the neighborhood take care of the older people in the neighborhood but they also looked out for guys like you that had a talent for something yeah. right and they so it, it, tell me know, about that you know, uh, when I was young, I, and, and once I realized that, you know, because I was mature for my age, once I realized that, you know, I was good in sports, you know, I quickly realized that 
that I was living, um, I had three worlds that were synced together, you know, I had the education component. Well, you know, you had your teachers, you, had, you know, you had your guidance counselor, you had your mentors and your coaches and all those things. And then you had your home environment, you know, you got your mom and your grandma and your grandfather and the respect was in the house and a lot of sacrifices man made because my mom working all your different jobs. And then you had your friends then you, and, and all your surroundings and, and, and things that can pull you in a different direction. And at that point, you know, I really knew that, you know, I really had to make a decision because if not, you know, the friends is going to pull everything else down. You know what I mean? And I had to quickly realize that, you know, that everybody can't go with you. Mm -hmm. you know? And as much as you love those guys, and it's unfortunate that they don't have the gift that you have. And so they're not as exposed because for that very short limited amount of time, I was able to live outside the neighborhood when they wasn't. So when I came back inside the neighborhood, like, hey, let's go do this, let's do that. No, nah, I can't do that. I got to be here. I got to be up early in the morning. I got to ACTs, SATs, or, mm -hmm. or I got a travel game tomorrow, your AAU basketball game. Or, so I'm constantly in and out, but they're constantly just in the neighborhood. So it becomes a real struggle because, you know, they want to go over there and rob the Frito-Lay company behind the house, you know, because, and the only things we're robbing them for is Frito chips boxes of chips and they want to right. do those type things and for me is it was just like nah i got other things i need to do i got to go work out i got to go practice and not knowing what the future holds but i knew i was good at something and right. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it and the, where the drug dealers came in was that they recognized that uh, the ability that i had right mm -hmm. so they had enough on um, foresight to say you know what we're gonna invest in this kid you know what I mean? We're going to invest in him. We're not going to let him hang out on the street and be exposed to all the things that we're doing. Hey, they, they got a, they got a um, ABC basketball camp going on. How much it costs? We'll pay for you. Really? They would do anything just to keep me out of the streets. And at that time, I just thought like, you know, it's the, the dope boys just really looking out for me. And, 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 but later on, I realized that they didn't want to lose me to the streets and they feel like, you know, he, he can be a voice for all of us. Like, you know, so when I went to college and I went to the pros, like you plan not just for yourself, but you plan for them. And they felt like they had a major piece in that. Wow. And at a young age, I didn't really understand, you know, you know, how many people depended on you that, you know, they knew that, you know, a lot of them lost those opportunities. Cause even my brother, my brother was a better athlete than me and my brother Zach put together and both of us made it, but you know, he just got caught up in the streets, you know, selling drugs and he had signed a letter intent to go to the University of Alabama. He was before his time, 6'3", 245 pounds, running 4'3", 40. Wow. Just before his time, but you know, he loved me. He loved the fast money, he loved the cars, fast money. And because that's all he knew growing up. You know? Right. So he got taken down by it. Right. And in, in your case and in Zach's case, you guys had these, these, these men in the community. Now, those from the outside would be saying, you know, they, they were doing, you know, because they were dealing drugs, they were doing the wrong thing, but they were looking out for you and your best interest at the end of the day. Correct. They look out for the best interest. So that's why when you look at them, it's like a tug of war when you look at those guys, when you hear like, they're such bad guys. You know, they did bad things, but in, in, in the heart of hearts, they're really good men that, you know, that they could at least just say, hey, listen, you want to come make some quick money, some easy money? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but they didn't. They said, okay, he got a gift. We want to make sure that everything, that he gets everything out of his life he's supposed to. 
that we can we can do this little this small thing we can do a little good it'll go a long way for them and i think that's how they felt because like it was many a days like as a young kid you're looking at your, your friends making all this money they're going to middle school with lumps of money in their pocket and you ain't got no money and like and and that's when the sacrifice comes in like okay the easy thing would be to like go do what they're doing mm-hmm. the hard thing is like okay i'm gonna stand over here and for the for the time being i'm really not cool the other guys that got all the latest shoes on the new starter jackets they got all the money and here i am over here you know regular joe you know and living you know in the hood ain't got nothing and you know coming home and just doing what we do, but we still friends. So yeah. you still have that tug of war, like, man, I can, I can just make a decision right now. <laughs> so, yeah. So looking at it, I mean, basically what I'm, what I'm feeling when you're saying that is these guys knew how that tug of war was going they and it. they had to step in and say, you know, no, Henry, no, you no. have this talent. Yeah. You can't be running in the streets with us. You need to go follow that. Correct. Like many a times, like it got late. He said, hey, listen, get off the corner. Then my boy, and my boys stand on the corner too. They're not saying anything to them. And I never forget they had this one guy named Poochie and he would pull me to the side, man. He said, listen, man, you got it. These other guys ain't got it, man. So we understand that this is going to be their life. This ain't your life. You know what I mean? You're not built for this. Like you just, that's not your life. And we recognize that. So you listen, we're going to do everything we can do to make sure you get what you need to get. And so I had a different respect for them. I understood. So when they told me I had to go and then my boys can stay, I understood why I had to go and, but yet they could stay. But even my boys didn't really understand. They thought they was like being looked at as cool. And I wasn't being looked at as cool because they was making me leave and allow them to stay. So it was a lot, and, and when you grow up in these neighborhoods, you don't really understand like the fights that are being fought. And then, you know, it's just a different tug of war is not being exposed to other cultures. Like, you know, and I never really, um, only only time I ever met like a white guy was like a police officer or he was one of the few few pr- teachers at the school, you mm-hmm. know? And and it's one of those things where you you're in the streets and you're hearing them talk about all the time that, how whites don't have your best interest in heart, you know, and then you go into the school system and you have the white guy trying to help you all the time or the police or the local police officer, you know, see you and he know of you and, and, you know, he's talking to you like a friend. It's like, and you have all these mind games going in your head. Like, man, I thought these guys wasn't good guys. That's what I've been Mm -hmm. told my whole life, you know, but at at every corner, man, we got um, these uh, Caucasian guys that's willing to, assist or, or willing to help me or willing to talk to me to look at things a little differently and uh, be aware of your surroundings and you know give me all these different nuggets here and there so but it's interesting my mom would always say to me yeah they always tell you that because they're doing the wrong thing <laughs> <laughs> right so, right and it's like so when I come in the house my mom was a you know a Christian lady worked two jobs worked that worked that motor roller for 35 years and and she would always just like encourage us, like tell us each generation is supposed to be better than the next. Mm. And, and she was just like a woman that sacrificed everything for my brothers and I, you know, to, to be uh, to attain the things that we've attained and the goals and, and the goals that we've been able to 
me. Yeah. And she's a praying woman. She was always just there. Like, you know, I always tell people all the time, I was always, we all dress nice. We never, and uh, because of that, you know, we never not had. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, you know, that's the misconception of sometimes growing up in the hood where they think that you don't know where your next meal coming from. That wasn't the case. We was poor, but every day we had a meal. Like, you know, I knew my, my grandmother and my mom, they cooked every day. Like, you know, granted, like we never went to McDonald's, we never ate out, but every day, you know, we we had a full meal that we'll find a way, you know, especially when you and your your grandmothers come from the south. Yeah. They, they know how to make meals out of things that people think is trash, you know. And um, so we never had those stores where we didn't know where the next meal was coming from. You know, I'm feeling Henry, as you're saying this too, a lot of you are saying people think that in the ghetto it's you never know where your next meal's coming from. I think one of the other misconceptions is there's not a lot of love there either. But what I'm hearing about your mother and your grandmother is there's a tremendous amount of love at home and you and your brothers had a lot of respect and appreciation for that. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. And you live in the hood and the ghetto, like, you know, it's so much love in those areas, man. It's just so much love between not just your families, but the neighbors. Like, you know, they genuinely care about you. They genuinely love you. Like, you know, uh, if my mom couldn't, take me somewhere the neighbor would take me or you know or you know they can make a phone call down to the street and say hey listen you no know, uh, I forgot to um bring um money to him today and um I, I forgot to bring money today and he would um neighbor give me money for school or something like wow so they, they work so well together so it was always tough like I love my even though we didn't have much we didn't have a whole lot but I love my upbringing yeah, really enjoyed the neighborhood I grew up in. I always f- felt like it, it made me who the man I am today because you, you saw the struggle and it wasn't hidden from us as kids. But at the same time, they bust their butt to make sure that um, we were, that we can do the things that we wanted to do. We can have the things that we wanted to have, even the things that we wanted to have wasn't much. You know what I mean? Like, like, like a lot of time I talk to my kids now about like how you got iPads, you got all different games and, you know, you want to go play football, you got this stuff, you, you know, trainers and all that stuff. Like we used to call, we used to play games called murder ball, ball a cup up, throw it in the air. Like, you know, and <laughs> like, like you just, you may do what you had. Yeah. And we, and we had a blast, you know, but, you know, like I said, I say the, the neighborhood, I mean, I loved it, man. And I, I, right now I'm sitting here thinking about all the people that, had a hand in my life and, and I could just go down the street and go house to house and just and um look at and them. it was everyone in the neighborhood looked out every, for everyone in the neighborhood like every house like everybody knew everybody mm-hmm. it wasn't a situation where like it was a family over there you didn't know who that family was you know yeah. so everybody knew each other so it, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic but it's a, like a true love story like you know you go to these neighborhoods and, and when one make it like the whole neighborhood feel like they made it, you know, so. So you, you, you getting into your career and, and, and I know you said you started out playing basketball and then ended up in, in football. Yeah. And so for you making it to the NFL was like the entire, and your brother, Zach too, made it to the NFL. So it became like you guys really lifted up the whole neighborhood by yeah. making it. Yeah. in the whole city, because even like Pompano Beach is a small town, but it's made up of a lot of athletes. Yeah. And, and I, we wasn't the first to make it to the NFL, but uh, my brother was actually the first to really come back. 
Mm. And so what kids can really relate, you know, for me playing basketball, you know, I never really had dreams of making it to the pros. Like, and even at that time, when you, when we was growing up, like you didn't, it was one, one of the dreams. The idea was I knew my mom couldn't pay for college. Like, man, we gotta, we gotta get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, we we didn't know anybody that made it to the NFL or played in the NFL. So when we saw guys playing on the NFL, they was like superheroes. It was almost like they wasn't real. It wasn't a reality. And I'll never forget this day. Um, me and my good friend Al Harris, um, we was two years behind Eddie Jones, who, who actually got drafted to the Lakers in 90, was 90, 94, I think. And um, I think my brother got drafted the same year. And when they made it, I remember us just talking. We were like, my God, man. I mean, we grew up around them every day. We've been going to Boys and Girls Club together since we was kids. Mm-hmm. Man, if they can make it, we definitely can make it, huh? So, and I remember us having this conversation <laughs> like it was yesterday. And so I take that same approach now these days when I work with my kids. Like a lot of times you just need to see other kids make it. You know, um, right. It became an example. Like you proved it could be done. It yeah. wasn't impossible. Yeah. So a lot of times you need to need to see it. And for us at that age, we saw it. And, and now the next thing was, let me see how they do. Mm-hmm. So when they both came in in the first and their rookie years, they had so much success. And Zach broke the most rushing yards record in the playoffs when he was in Indianapolis Colts. And Eddie Jones just came mm-hmm. in and, and started dunking on people. And being, I'm like, man, listen. So let us know that like what we've been doing all these years that we, I mean, it works all around the country. Like mm-hmm. the level that we've been playing on, I mean, we can compete anywhere. So that kind of like gave us opportunity to push our chest out. And that was the first time we really thought that we can make it. You know, it was just a, like, how do we get out? Like, how do we go to college, get a good job? And, you know, and so my mom and bust her butt. So she, she wanted to take out no loans and cause no, she didn't have it. But. So it was always about for you, um, paying it back back. to a lot of those in the the neighborhood, to your family, to your mom. I mean, it was all about how can I do this for them? Not just for yourself. As I got older, I started to realize it started to make sense because Mm -hmm. when you're young, you're just going through it. You just trying and you're just trying to get to the next day because you see so much, man. And you see some, you see so, you know, and you're so numb to a lot of things. Like a lot of what you realize when you're in the, grew up in the hood like we grew up and you see drug dealers prostitutes and like you know them like you say hello to the drug dealers you say hello to the prostitutes you know what i mean and you see people over there in the corner performing oral sex and doing all these things for money behind this tree and you see people get killed you become numb to a lot of things so for me it was just more you know a lot of stuff didn't really move me like that you know mm-hmm. and and i don't think that was normal you know so and as you get older and you start to learn things things start to make more sense to you because now you're starting to because the more you see the heightened the more you know sensitive you are to certain things like it start to make sense and you start to realize like okay the way I grew up is probably what normal like a, a normal nine ten years old didn't hang out with prostitutes and you know drug dealers that's that's not normal Right. But for right. me, normal, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, it's all you knew. It's all you knew. So as you get older and you realize these things are not normal, man, and then you start thinking like, all right, 
But that's why they did all those things for me, man. That's why they were really looking out for me. And you start putting all these things together and then you start realizing the people that, like my principal and my coaches that was always so tough on me and made me do all these extra things. And I'm just thankful that I was, I had the, the self-respect that my mom instilled in me to listen to them, you know, because we were always taught, you know, always respect your elders. And if they tell you to do something, even we did it, we did it reluctantly, but we did it. Um, it paid off because it got me to a point where I could understand why they was doing what they was doing. Mm -hmm. And and then I, I understood what I was in debt for, you know. And so when I come back home from college, I was able to go sit with my mentors, my principals, and my assistant principals, my coaches, and have these conversations. And then they can just tell me why they did what they did, you know. You know, and um, they can sit down and say, like, listen, we, we always knew you guys had it. Like, you know, it only come around so often. So when you see it, yeah, you have to yeah. grab these kids because they got a chance to get out. Like, because everybody don't have a chance to get out. Right, right. And like you said, you guys making it lifted the whole neighborhood up. Yeah. The whole city up. So. The whole city, because now you got kids like you, you see the Tiger Woods playing golf and everybody want to play mm -hmm. golf. That's how it was when we was when, when Zach and Eddie made. Now you got kids, everybody want to pair cleats and a basketball, football to get out and start playing because, and then now myself come behind, I come behind him, Aaron Harris come behind him, Corey Simon, Donnell Bennett, Isaac Brute, all these guys come behind. So now it's almost like, everybody think they can make it. Like even the kids That's that can't it. even play, they think they can make it. <laughs> but now you got this wave of people that really feel like, you know what? I can do this. And so- You gave them that sense of belief in themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like you created a movement. And I, and I always say it's one thing, if you want to be successful in certain things, you got to find a way to create a movement. And it's, it's no different than what Apple is doing, like, you know. Apple created the movement. It's not even about a product, you know what I mean? So, and um, that's what we was able to do and coming back to the neighborhoods that we um, grew up in because the thing about it, once we made it to the NFL, like we trained on the part that, you know, we grew up on, you know, a, a lot yeah. of you go to all the different facilities. And we was intentional about, we have to leave footprints for these kids to follow because there's a lot of kids walking these streets got the same talent that we have. But if we don't come back and show them the way out, they're going to be lost. And there's something about the city of Pompano Beach, man. It's like a black hole. Like, yeah, it, it's, it has its way of getting its, getting its claws in you. And once it's getting its claws in you, and you can't, you can't shake loose. And a lot of kids fall victim to that. You know, a lot of athletes and just a lot of kids with different talents fall victims, victims to that because they don't know. They've never been anywhere like literally we live if you look at pompano pompano is like four three four miles from the beach like just mm -hmm. go east we never went to the beach and all i had to do is go three miles east i could walk there we never been to boca like you know we, we stayed in like a mile radius like and and i always tell people like you know um you don't understand the power of the impact you can have by of exposure mm-hmm because if you're not exposed, if you don't know what you don't know what's out there to look for, how you gonna how you gonna compete in the game? You don't know the game that's been played. How you gonna um, shoot for something when you don't know what to shoot for? Like you don't these kids don't know these careers are out there because the person that you admire is the dope boys. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the women. 
they dope like they run they run dope houses like and so that's your man i can't when i get old i want to do that right because you don't see anything outside of that scope that's it that's all you know because you know the ones that made it never came back they don't come back yeah they don't come back. so it's yeah. important you know, for me, it's always been important that. Absolutely. And I, and I want to get into you coming back to Pompano and what you're doing in a minute. But I want to, um, you know, as you made it out, <clears throat> you and I had talked earlier and you told me about your experience in college and how you learned some really valuable lessons in college because you almost didn't make it. Correct. You almost ended up back. Correct. And so, you know, tell me, tell, you know, tell everyone who's listening that that story again about um, you know, what happened? You, you went to, you were at school five years. You only played one. Yeah. So I tell you, it goes back a little farther, right? So I tell you in high school. So, um, I mean, I started playing football late, but when I did, I, I was instantly really, really good at it. You know, I just, it was just, I was doing things. I didn't know that. I, was, I didn't know why I was doing it. I just was doing it. Right. So, and I never forget, it was a school night. Um, and I, this is why I really feel like my life really changed in the direction of my life and the trajectory of my life really changed. I was down at the Miami Herald building in Miami doing a photo shoot um, for the, um, I think it's Elite, Elite 11, that was called Elite 11. And, Danny, and this was still, you were still in high school at the time? Still in high school. Still in high school, school okay. School night, school night. They want us to come out here and take pictures on the school night. <laughs> we, got, we, we went down there to take pictures, right? So Danny Cannell is there. And, you know, Danny Cannell was a quarterback for Florida State. And now he's on, on TV now, pretty boy. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got New York Giants quarterback. So he was there and his dad was there with him. And um, and at that point, I mean, I don't know what they was doing in the Miami Herald building, but we ended up being there to almost midnight. Wow. So me and Danny ended up being, becoming, talking a lot, becoming cool. Yeah. So then we had a game against Carter Gibbons that Friday because during that time in 1991 and 92, they made us start paying day, daytime games because there was something going on with the flies. They bite you, you get real sick. It was something that was going on. Uh -huh. 91, 90s like that, 91. And so that, that Thursday, no, it was Friday. That Friday, my father ended up passing. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget, my mom came and picked me up from practice and she told me that he had just he passed away that day. I'm like, I just couldn't believe it because I had to go to the doctor that day and I was going to stop by and see him. I didn't. And um, so it, it, they put it in the newspaper because we played Carnegie Gibbons that Saturday and I had a great game. And it was in the newspaper that I had a great game, but you know, they was talking about the things that I was dealing with. My father my passed away, so I played the game with a heavy heart. And then from that point, you know, Dr. Cannell must have got hold of it, Danny Cannell's dad. So he just started showing up at my practices. I'm like, Man, I know this tall white, this six eight white guy. Man, I know. I, know this. <laughs> I realized Danny's dad. Then all of a sudden, you know, and he was coming to all your games, home games, home and games, practices. Like, I couldn't shake really? this guy. I could wow. not shake. This he guy. just started showing up. He started showing up, man. I could not shake this guy. <laughs> and and I never forget. He asked me a question: Have you passed the SAT? I said, No, I haven't passed. I haven't taken it. He's like, Okay. So this, he said, This is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pay for you to take SAT prep classes. Wow. You gotta get you gotta get there. And so I and I, I look back, he was engaging, you know, you willing to do it, I'm willing to, I'm willing to pay for it and help you out if you show the interest. Mm. So he paid for me to get there and I never forget, man. I was 
catching rides with my friends, the bus. I was doing whatever I had to do to get to that tutoring, you know, because you know, it, it was the first time I really had one-on-one -on -one tutoring. You know, I never had it before, never especially, I never had about a paper tutor. So, you know, and I, and I saw the advancements that I was making and the understand I was getting, learning how to take the test. And so the first time I took the test, man, I, I think I screwed it to score like nine, 10, and you had to have 700 at that time. So I saw nine, 10, so I, I needed to qualify. And, and I'll never forget, I was supposed to show up for the test that next Saturday, that Saturday, because you know, you have to pay ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Then I went to my tutor on Monday. She said, "How you felt in the test?" I said, "I didn't take it." And she looked at me. She like she wanted to kill me. <laughs> she's like, you got to explain this. And I and I showed her my test, and she was so happy that I scored a nine ten, and she was so wow. happy with me. She said, "Oh, cause you're just gonna have some explaining to do." <laughs> so at this point, I'm like number one rated linebacker in the country, and number one defensive player in the country. Danny Canales one of the top players in the offense in the country. So we ended up becoming cool. So now as a young kid, when you start having all this success, you got the drug boys, they all come to the games. Like back then our games are sold out. They betting on the game and I'm playing great. So when they win, I win, you know, they give me money after all these big bets they won. And especially when we played Dillard, which was our rival, Soul Bowl. I mean, I probably made three, $400 that night because they won thousands. And um, so a sense of entitlement and you start to have a certain amount of arrogance that comes with that. You feel like you're untouchable that, you know, that things just somewhat somehow happen for you. So yeah. now fast forward, I, I go to Florida State and I get to Florida State, you know, Coach Bowden has wrote about me in his book that he signed this kid from down from Pompano. He won number 45. Like he wrote all, he, he talked about me in his book and I was gonna be a special player. So I get to college. And all this is coming to you easy now, right? Easy like, you know, the, the skill is coming to you easy. Football comes Football. easy. Everything is easy. Everything's easy at this point. You know what I mean? And you just don't understand. So you, I, almost, I feel like I can walk on water, man. Mm. I just felt like, you know, and, I, and so when I got to college, you know, I knew I was rated high and all these different things. And I knew Derrick Brooks was there. I knew Marvin Jones was there. So I didn't expect to come in and just take over and start. I knew... That was part of the reason I went there because it was, at that point they had a lot of top players that was going to school. But I did know, I, I did feel like I was the next man up after them. So, and I feel like I probably wouldn't redshirt that year. I would play, you know. Mm -hmm. When I got there, I realized I didn't really know football. I just been so naturally talented. And when they started talking lingo that I probably should have known when I was in ninth grade. I didn't know because my coaches never taught me any of that kind of stuff. I was just so naturally gifted that they just put me in the middle of the field and I just go from sideline to sideline. I drop, I make interceptions. I don't know why I did it, how I got there, but I would just do all these things. So I didn't really understand how to play the game. I didn't understand that, okay, they give you a playbook and study. I didn't never had none of that stuff. Huh. When I got there, it's like I was so far behind. I mean, even the linebackers that came in my class, a guy named Todd Reball out of Port Charlotte. You know, you know, you could tell the way he moved. Like, I didn't realize he was in my class. Like this guy's, he knows football lingo. Like, you know, these reading the guards. I had no idea of this stuff. So now I'm arrogant. I don't know the game. I don't have a work ethic because, you know, I was out of shape. You know, I figured I'd just walk in there and just play. Like and you've done your whole career my whole, prior my whole to life, that. My whole life. And so 
my linebacker coach, Jim, Jim Gladden, like he just really looked at me like this guy's a bum. Uh. He, you know, he's entitled. He doesn't work hard, you know, and, you know, I don't want that guy a part of, I don't want that guy a part of my team, or at least I don't care to coach him. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the way I started my college career. Mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at Derrick Brooks, how he works, how he studies. So I hitched my wagon to Derrick Brooks. So now I'm learning from a guy that's a scholar, scholar who's all American that has a work ethic like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Now my I start to surround myself around guys that are more like-minded or in that same caliber, you know, player like Derrick Brooks that that was um these guys that you know we joined FCA so we was you know we was you know Bible study school working you know and then I met Peter Bowler and Andre Wadsworth these all guys top three and five third third pick and in the fourth pick so now I'm surrounded by myself around guys that work right? you were smart enough to do that right because you could have gotten more Yep. Frustrated, pissed Frustrated. off, but you looked at it and went, I gotta go with those guys. You gotta go with those guys. They they know some they know some I don't know, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm gonna hitch my wagon to them and I'm gonna let the cars follow. They may I'm gonna learn how to work. I'm gonna learn what these lingos mean. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start studying with them. I'm gonna raise my football IQ. So all right, so by next year, like I was killing things. I was killing people. I was in, <laughs> right? but I quickly realized it didn't matter what I did. At this time, they brought in Sam Coward. He, you know, he's a year behind me, the new recruiting class come in. They put Sam Coward in front of me. I'm like, what? So it didn't matter what I did at that point. The yeah. first impression I gave my coach was I was arrogant, I was lazy, and I was entitled. And it was nothing I could do to shake that. And that's when I always, I told my kids about that. First impressions are so important, man. Because yeah. you're spending the rest of your life trying to change what people think of you, and you'll never be able to do it. So now you're you're three. All right, yeah. now I know I'm gonna play. Now, okay. You know, Derrick Bush gone, Marvin Jones gone. Okay, it's only like, you know, just three linebackers play at one time. So they got Sam. I could play all of the linebackers. So now they bring in Darrell Bush. <laughs> Darrell Bush playing, like you know, and Sam is playing. Now I'm not. I'm like I'm still not playing. Like. And you're watching your pro career start to dwindle, right? Because if you're not getting on the field, you have no chance. Yep, no chance at all. So now I'm like thinking, okay, I really got to figure out what I want to do outside of football because this football thing doesn't look too good. But, you know, I would speak to my brother. At this time, my brother's in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, um, my fourth year, the fourth year, same thing happened again. Now I'm back. Me and Sam Cowell became good friends. And he came in after me and he's all American. And he's probably gonna be a top five pick. Darrell Bush is the other guy. And and then we have another guy named um forgot the name, forgot what Vernon Crawford came in from a junior college. They put him at starting. So now I'm like, I'm the fourth guy. And it's yeah. my fourth year. So it seemed like everybody that come in the college, they jump in front of me. Mm-hmm. So now but I'm still praying. I'm still working hard. I'm still doing all these things because now. My that was my question. So it actually made you work harder. Like you didn't give hard. up. You didn't go, well, shit, they're putting everybody in front of me. Why bother? Your ethic was I'm going to show them. I'm going to work harder. 
Yep, and, and I had help with that. Like I had a sit down with Derek Brooks. I mean, I'll never forget, I went to Derek Brooks' room and I told him I was considering leaving. You know, and I wanted to transfer. And he taught me, I'd always say, listen, man, you know, this is just another test, man. You know, are you going to answer the bell? Are you going to come out the corner? Mm-hmm. Now you got to make that decision. You go by your room, you look yourself in the mirror. You got to ask yourself, are you going to answer the bell? You know, are you going to look at it as a challenge? Or you can just tuck your tail and run. And then the same thing happened somewhere else that, you know, people that don't know you. So I said, okay. Right, right. I'm going right. to look at this as a challenge. And I'll never forget, I came back. He saw him the next day. He said, what you decide? I said, I'm going to stay. So now I'm in my, I keep going, things still going on. With all I can remember is Derek Bruce telling me, you know, you know, you got to, you got to make a decision. Yeah. Are you, you going to come out the corner and fight? Are you going to take your tail? So this is the only thing that I keep running through my mind. Plus, you know, that you, another thing he's telling you basically is quitting becomes a habit. Habit. You know, where he said, like, if you leave, you're going to go somewhere else. You're just going to repeat that again. You're going to quit again. again. Same thing again. So now I never forget, uh, we're playing in the Orange Bowl. And every year they'll move me from position to position, strong side linebacker, middle linebacker, weak side linebacker. And I'll pull this story together at the end. So, um, so now I'm playing my heart, uh, Sam Coward, and we're playing Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl. Me and Sam went to the hotel the night before. He was coming out after that game. He made it, he was coming out, leaving, going to the pros. He's gonna be a top pick, probably top five. So we go over to the hotel, meet this meet this agent that he was gonna sign with once the season was over. You know, once the game was over, and then we go back and play the game that night. I never forget the guy cut Sam and tore his knee up in that game. Uh. And I remember they bring him to the sideline. So I'm just crying. I'm crying, talking to him. And because I know he was leaving after that game. Yeah. Because yeah. we became good friends. So, you know, I knew what was about to happen. And I just said, I just saw it just went up in flames for him. So now they send me in to play Sam's position. And this is the same day my brother's playing in a playoff game against the San Diego Coast where he ran for like 163 yards early in that day. I watched they broke the record for the rookie. Um, so now I'm going in playing for Sam Coward in the second half. And I had like a historic game. I had one of the best games that anybody can play. So still not thinking about anything. And now I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do. You know, I need to find other options. So I yep. go into my senior year, and the one thing that never ever happens, and a coach normally leaves and goes to another school and you bring in a coach, your coaches never swap positions. Mm-hmm. Coach Chuck Amato switched to linebackers from defensive line, and my linebacker coach, Jim Gladden, switched to defensive linemen. So they swap positions. Swap positions, which yeah. happens. And I'll never forget Coach Amato said to me, I've seen what they've done to you the last couple of years, three, four years. I'm telling. I'm here to tell you. You ain't got to look over your shoulder. You do your part. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be my guy. And at that point in time, I didn't believe nothing nobody said. You know what I mean? Because I've been <laughs> screwed over for the last three, four. That's what I felt. And but Chuck, coach, coach, model. Every day, I would drive two and a half, almost three miles to the Leach Center, and me and him would play racquetball together. Racquetball, racquetball. And he was he could play racquetball with both hands. Now I know that's illegal. You're not supposed to put hands with racquetball. <laughs> <laughs> he would play racquetball, but he was just trying to get me 
to run from side to side. And at that time, I didn't know he was building me up. You know what I mean? Building me up. And he was taking that time to challenge me and talk, and talk to me, see how I respond. So the season started. And all those guys that played before me and all those things, I had a, an amazing senior year. Fifth, fifth year senior year, I had an amazing year. So I ended up getting drafted before all those guys that, you know, that came out with me, Vernon Crawford, Tari Ball, or Travis Sherman. I, I got drafted for all of them. And just so happened, Sam had to sit that year out because he got hurt so late in the year. He was a couple of years behind me. And so the cool thing is when I got to the pros, they brought me as a middle linebacker. And I'll never forget David Brandon got hurt his rookie year. And he played Sam linebacker, strong linebacker. So they asked me, never against San Francisco. And it happened to be William Floyd, the fullback from Florida State, playing for San Francisco, cut David and mess his ankle up. So they asked me mid-game, can you play Sam Linebacker? I said, yeah, I can play it. <laughs> so I did have a great game in Sam Linebacker, but this is what I, and this is what I said, I bring it home. For all those years when I was college, they was moving me from position to position to position. I didn't know it was preparing me for that moment. Yeah. That you could put him anywhere and he could play. Now the whole time complaining and moving from position to position, but it ended up being an asset. Right. Which is a hindrance, you know, that I could play all positions because of them moving me around all through college. And and I always say a lot of things, it a lot of times when you're going through it, it don't make sense. Yeah. But in the end, and when it all comes together, you know, because it might not be when we want it, and the time not might not be when we want it or when we expect it to happen, but it but when it does happen, it all makes sense. So I was able to start as a rookie. For the Atlanta Falcons, because of that, and it ended up being, and I ended up playing Sam linebacker the majority of my career, because of, you know, being moving around through college. But I came in as a middle linebacker. Yeah. And I always say to my, you know, it's never where you, you know, start is is how you finish, and you got to always try and find ways to learn from things when you're going through it. You know, so you got to be, you got to have your mind open and your ears open. So you can listen with understanding, man. So, um, you know, I said, man, just uh, because a lot of people realize, a lot of people think that when you talk to me, because I had a pretty good pro career that I had a it's great college career. Like, you know, man, I didn't go put you in the Hall of Fame at Florida State. Man, I barely played at Florida State. Don't <laughs> <laughs> put me in the Hall of Fame at Florida State, you know? Shoot, man. I'm, yeah. Now, you know, it's interesting. You said something too, you know, just then, and, and it comes back to something you told me earlier when we spoke the other day and, and it was, you, you begin with the end in mind Correct. now. And is that something that Dr. Cannell taught yeah. you? Because I want you to talk a little bit about your relationship with him, because it was interesting back at the beginning, uh, you were saying that, you know, you didn't meet very many white people and you were taught not to trust them. And now here comes this man who basically becomes like a surrogate father figure to you. Correct. Dr. Cannell. And, and you, you told me that he, you know, taught you some great stuff. He had your first, you know, you, you said he brought you to your first ever restaurant. Yeah. So, so me and Dr. Cannell got a very, you know, we got an amazing relationship and, and, and for him, it was just like, he treated me like he treated Danny and his kids. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they exposed to a lot of different things because of, I mean, he was one, he was a team doctor for the dolphins. Mm-hmm. Two, he lived on a golf course. And three, they had money. So, you know, they're exposed to a lot of different things. And here I am when I meet Dr. Cannell. Like, he's the first person to ever tell me that, you know, you don't need football. Football is just going to be, 
it's, it's icing on the top. I'm like, what? So my whole life, everybody told me that football is your way out. Football is your ticket, right? Now, here, here I got this 6'8 white guy telling me, nah, you don't need football. You know, you know that's, that's just icing on the, on the top. Now I'm thinking about. And that's the first the, time you'd ever heard that, right? Because everybody in your neighborhood, all the guys in your neighborhood are telling you this is it. This is your ticket. You're the football guy. Yeah. So now I got to make a decision. Now I'm thinking like I'm listening. To, I'm remembering all the things they said about like you got to watch out for white people. They're going to try and tell you things leading in the wrong direction. You got to be careful. They're going to take advantage of you. So now all these things run into my mind because I've never heard nobody tell me nothing like that. And so now I, I have to sit back and look at all the deposits that Dr. Canella's put into my life. Like, you know, he's, he's never done anything or he never told me anything that wasn't true. Mm -hmm. He's never, um, you know, um, he's never not like, if he said he's going to do something, he never like not done it, you know? So now I got to really like lean on that, like that, okay, this guy never lied to me. So it must be something in it. And this came from over the time when, I, as I got older, I had to realize that a lot of the things that were happening in my life that you got to start being more conscious to it, paying more attention to it. And so now, you know, he, he talked to me about like, you know, what do you want to do when you finish? So, you know, you got to, and I said, oh, hell, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying to myself, I'm just getting into the NFL. So it's like, you know, everything you do, you always got to have an exit plan. You gotta always think about the end in mind. Like, and the sooner you can come to that, you'll be prepared, you know? And so uh, for me, it was like, okay. I knew um, the, light, the light turned on for me about why I give back and all. I like, and I, so I started my nonprofit stuff when I was in college, like really recognized because it's neighborhoods in Tallahassee that look like the neighborhoods I grew up in. So when I can see when I see those kids, I can relate to them. Like I can spot them a mile away, or a certain conversation that we have, like I can just jump right in because you lived it. And so I knew that the things I wanted to do and how I wanted to give back. And I remember going sitting down with Coach Bobby Bowden, you know, talking to him about these different things. So he said, "Well, if that's what you want to do, I'll help you." You know, you just got to come up with a wow. plan. And so my first- So another white guy coming into your life saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. What was your feel at that point too? Did you trust him at that point or? At that point, I really, I trust Coach Bowden and I trust Dr. Connell because like, you know, everything they always did for me, just it just benefited me. It didn't benefit them at all. Like, you know, you know, exposed me to nice restaurants because, you know, he felt like, you know, when you go places, I want you to sit down and feel confident that you know the menu, you know? All right, I want to take you to the golf course because deals are made on the golf course. I want you to get into the arts because it expands you, you know what I mean? It opens your mind up. So he started exposing to me all these different things because he wanted me to be well-rounded. And everything that he gave me, like I said, like, well, this guy don't get anything out of it. He got four kids. like. And he'd bring it on me and treat me like whenever I need to come home, fly home to see my mom, like he would fly me home. Like, you know, he was, everything he did for Danny, except bought Danny that four-rounder truck. <laughs> everything he did for Danny, <laughs> yeah. he, would, he would do for me. Like, and like yeah. me and Danny, like his son, Danny, we're lifelong friends, you know? Um, so it really became, it was, it was, and I'm, I'm, you know, bringing this up, but it feels like at this point, you know, you must be realizing this isn't about color. This is about caring. 
At that it's point, all about caring and what you know, and, and and seeing the greatness in you, and wanting to bring that out. Yep, and it's not, and for and for him, it was just more paying for it because you know, he told me stories about when he went to medical school at University of Pittsburgh. He he wasn't he didn't come from a fortunate background, you know, and then you know his you know he uh, knew he was going into medical school, and his parents, his father was a mechanic and all these things, and and. And when he went into medical school, you know, a lot of times it's, it's tough being out there, you, you know, especially in those careers, you want to make sure that you belong. You want to feel like you belong. And sometimes kids can make you feel like you're not on their level, like, you know, you don't belong here, you know. And so the guys at the mechanic shop, they all took up money and made sure that he had the most expensive stethoscopes and, and all the accessories and all the supplies he needed was on par with all the kids that had money. So when he went to school on that first day, he felt like he belonged, you know, and he looked like he belonged. And he was just paying it forward. And, and that's what he said to me, that when you get in a position to pay it forward, I want you to do it without thinking. That's what, that's how the Crocker Foundation, um, you know, was started, you know, and and, I, and, and and a lot of times when the journey sucks, man, that what makes, the, makes you appreciate the destination even more, you know, because like everything, every, Every accomplishment I've had in my life, I mean, it's been a journey, you know. It's been a lot of learning. It's not a lot of losses, but a lot of learning, you know, along the way. And and it's trying to find, you know, I'm always trying to listen and trying to put myself in the right atmosphere to succeed. But what you do quickly learn is you need people. Like, no one does it alone. I don't care who you are. You know, no one Absolutely, does it. Absolutely, yeah. And I've been fortunate enough to have a Dr. Canals in my life, and even to this day. We still go have our lunches. We still love food. You know, we talk yeah. about travel, and he tells me when I, when you go to this place, you gotta go eat here. And I remember I was telling him I was going to London, and he told me all, and he sent me a whole report about all the restaurants I need to go to, and and now we just talk about kids, and we talk about my kids, and you know, I ask him some of the things that he did with Danny, and how to be a better father, and better husband and things that you know you should be doing and things you look at so our conversations are different but he's still doing the same things that he did when I was a kid it's just like now it's just it's just different now like we just we talk about food we talk about our, our kids and you know and, and family stuff so you know so that's just um that's that's really beautiful stuff with Dr. Cannell and, and so you, your foundation I just want to talk about it uh briefly because you have the you and Zach both have the Crockett Foundation and you had told me that you actually founded that the day after you got drafted. Yeah. So was that from one of those begin with the end in mind? Like you were already feeling what you were going to do after your yeah. NFL career was over? Yeah, it, it come from the challenge and the, it come from the acts of Dr. Connell. You were saying that, you know, to pay it forward, you know, um, because that's, that's how we evolved, you know. And then I, and I had to ask myself, are you really serious about it? You know, you really got to start honoring people. And so, you know, he just taught me about awareness and, you know, and, and the importance of giving back, but not just giving back, but the impact that you have on uh, the kids' lives or whoever life that you choose to impact, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and then it just it just changed my whole mindset, how I, how I look at people. Cause I, I look at, even as black men, like, like we never tell each other or honor, or honor each other and tell them how great they're doing. Cause it's almost like a competitive thing sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, you know, I, I learned is being in a competitive environment 
and that you have to start honoring each other, man. And, you know, in order for us to always feel um, great about each other and like, and the values and, the, and I learned the values of the game is so much more than just a, a few occasions that happen that take place during those games. And so what I mean, that is like, it's so much that goes on and so many values that's been placed on our lives and that you learn throughout these games. It's so much more than scoring the touchdown or getting the interception and hearing the crowd roar because one might think that even though that might have been the interception or touchdown that won the game, that it was important. And it's not as important as the values you learned along the way. And I believe those are the things that put you in the position to make that play. And I had to learn those things. So right now, I always try to think about the values that, you know, that I learn and I try to implement it in everything that I do. And so when I went into the NFL with the end in mind, I just knew that, you know, football is an amazing sport. It's done a lot for me and my family and put me in, you know, I've been placed and done things that I never thought I'd be able to do. But what I do know, it's a small part of your life. It's a minute part of your life. And football is a great jumpstart to your life. And if you treat it as such, then, you know, when it end comes and then it comes very quick and it ends abruptly, you're not phased by it. You can pretty much be happy with where you are and you can move on. Because the things I find out, find that is the ones that play in this game and they don't come with the end in mind. Well, when that light turn off, it don't dim. It turns off quickly. Yeah. They're not prepared for it. So what they find, what they find themselves doing is they find themselves getting in trouble because they're chasing that thrill, the same thrill or, the, or listen to the crowd or we used to go to these restaurants and they used to pull you out the back and pull you in the front or there's no reservations. They make one for you. Like, you know, believe it or not, man, these, you know, it, it can be addicting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But if you don't have the end in mind, if you're not prepared when the end come, I mean, it's almost like self-destruction. And that's when you find these guys losing their wives or getting divorced and getting in fights or going to jail because they weren't prepared for it. And it's, and it's a simple thing is, what do I want to do? Mm -hmm. And then once you figure out what you want to do, then you, 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 you have to go and search and find a way how to make it happen. And it won't happen that day, but you need to have a plan in place that, you know, how you're going to go about doing it. But in, in, even without that plan, it doesn't really guarantee you success because it might take you like it, it took me seven, eight years in this nonprofit world. You know, it took, you know, I, I started this thing and I, just, and I just thought, you know, I'm coming back to my neighborhood and I'm going I'm to provide these kids with the same things Dr. Kneff provided me with. And what I found out, what I found was reluctance. Like these, the people in my neighborhood didn't want me to give them what Dr. Kneff gave gave me. So I had to force feed it. I just had to stay consistent. Mm -hmm. Seven, eight years into one person gave me a shot. And then once that one person gave you a shot, then other people start to pay attention. And so, you know, and then for me, it's all about the kids. I mean, with these youth, you know, they'll do anything with you if, and because they, they always want to make you proud. Mm. But you have to be consistent with them. You have to show up every day. Yeah. And that's what it's, and, that, and, and it's just that simple. A lot of people come to me and say, hey, what's the secret sauce? Like, what do you guys do? Is that? I mean, there's no secret sauce. These kids are smarter than you think they are. You just gotta be consistent. 
you just got to show up every day because they know when you're not all in. Yeah. So when they know you're not all in, they're not all in. And and then for me, it's like, you know, you think that you come to our program, you're going to get sports. And we don't even really do sports in our program at all. You know, you might go out there for recess time and shoot some basketball. We don't do sports. because What is it mostly that you're doing in the foundation if you're not, you're doing well, educational stuff, mentorship? Yeah, our, our mission is to build character, develop leaders and improve our communities one child at a time. And we do that through our out-school programs and our community health festivals. So what that does is in our out-school programs, my goal is to expose you to as many careers as possible. My goal is to put people in front of you that look like you, that's been successful in careers that you don't even know exist. Because whether you believe it or not, um, our kids are exposed to certain careers by the zip code they live in. Yeah. So, well, going back to what you said earlier about like, you didn't even know it was outside your neighborhood. You only ever saw, you know, the drug boys doing their thing. And that's what you thought the ultimate was, was to get to that. And when you saw guys from your neighborhood making it in the, you know, NFL and NBA, it opened up a whole new world for you. 100%. And then you have to get these kids to live outside their 25 mile radius. Yeah. And so that's what we're all about. We're about experience and we're about exposure. And from that, now we got to take care of our community. We do our back to school community festival. Where right now we um, we didn't do it this year because of the pandemic. But before we averaged four thousand people in one day. We give wow. our free we give our free health care. It's actually the back to school event. But I understand. I want to be able to serve the families from zero to hundred. So how do you do that? And a lot of the families that are in our neighborhoods they never go to the doctor. Like my grandfather, I can't remember one time he went to the doctor. Yeah, I mean, as blacks, it's just, it's just something that we don't do, but we're getting better at it. But you have to force feed them. You have to make them do things that they don't want to do. And you have to put resources in front of them that they don't even know it's available to them. Because they, they will say, well, I didn't know I can get that. that. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll go out and try to find those things and bring it to them where they have it in all in one place. So even though it's a back to school, you get backpack and school supplies. Yeah. We give out free shoes and everything. But in order to get those backpacks and free shoes, I'm gonna give you a passport with all the vendors here. And you gotta go get me six stamps. You gotta go visit the WIC. If you got your family WIC, it's an opportunity for you to sign up for WIC. If you need free and low cost insurance, you have to go get sign up for Florida Kid Care. We have the police department there to uh, fingerprint. God bless, hope we don't ever need it. But just in case things happen, we have your fingerprints on file. Another thing that's important that we don't do anymore is give out library cards. It's important that these kids read. So I have any any and every kind of vendor you can you can imagine there, and they got to get six. And once you get those six, you get in line, and you can get your um, free backpack, free school supplies, free uniforms. You know, um, kids can get physicals, immunization shots, get your cholesterol check, blood pressure check. You know, we have so we it's have, exposure again. It's all about exposure. exposing them to what they can do and what's yeah. available to them outside of that small radius. Correct. Like you were saying earlier. And, and, and what we also learn is not just the kids. We have to educate the parents as well, because if we can get the parents on our side, you know, if we could be on the same page with the parents, it makes work with a kid a lot easier. Yeah. So, and all these things I learned throughout my life, and I, I try to tell them, it's easy for me to talk about it because I lived it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not nothing, I'm, I'm not trying to come in and create this curriculum and do some trying to invent some stuff that never happened before or say I'm the first. I'm just saying exposure is just as important as learning how to read and learn how to math. 
if you don't know what's out there, you don't know what to shoot for. Right. What I'm saying is, how do I level the playing field for these kids? Because I really truly believe they can compete on a global level. They just need to know what to compete for. They just need to know that it's available to them. Right. At Crocker Foundation, that's what we do. We try to expose them to as many careers as possible. You know what? Hell, it might not even stick. They might say, you know what? I hate that career. I said, well, at least you know what you don't like. <laughs> right. But at so, least they got it. You got and, it. You so. know, yeah, I want, I want to go back to something you said earlier about honoring these people that, you know, were in your life and everything. And, and I talk about that a lot. You know, I did a, an episode just on honoring because it is one of the sacred seven core values that we have, you know, courage, honesty, integrity, commitment, duty, honor, and love. And a lot of what you're talking about in this is, is really bringing up the, you know, all of them, but especially the commitment, right? The commitment you're making to the community, um, the duty, that you're feeling to these people, you know, to the, these kids and, and the people in your neighborhood where you grew up and honoring these men who were there for you and paying that back forward. And the honoring, what I think people lose track of is it is being in that awe and that wonder of the abilities of other people and what they've been able to do for you rather than shooting that stuff down. And then, you know, of course, all of that's wrapped in, you're doing this out of love, right? This is coming from the heart. This is not a, you know, a giant money-making machine you've put together. This is truly giving back to those and paying forward to those that, you know, are coming out of the same situation you were in. Correct. And it's all about, when I say honor, it, it, to me, it's so important because I truly believe I wouldn't be in a position if it weren't for the men that came before me, if it weren't for the men that poured into my life when they had their own I'm almost sure I'm a father now and I'm married. We got kids and we have our own things that we go through on a daily basis. And it's tough just to be able to deal with your own kids. And so to be able to pour into someone else's kids, man, it takes a lot. And as you get older, you understand that. So you want to honor those people that really sacrifice so much, you know, because it's, it's, it's just truly a sacrifice. And, and I just hope that you know, I can I can continue to keep it going. So the kids that come behind me that I've um, encouraged and honored and you know pushed for, that they will see the importance of it, because that's what it's all about. How do we get the next generation to uh, push forward and and want to leave the impact? Because at the end of the day, in the day, our names are so important, and it's important that we have our own legacy. And you got to you got to figure out what do you want yours to be. What do you want people to say about you when that time comes? And, and, and those things are important to me. Um, I truly believe that, you know, it's, it's important for us to serve a cause that's greater than oneself. It's in, and, and I always say that to myself when I get up, because I think that's what, what it's all about. And because I really, truly, you know, I'm, I'm just so in love with the process, you know what I mean? And it's not so much. <laughs> about yeah. you know uh, you know the end result because a lot of times i complain throughout the whole process but i really enjoy it you know <laughs> because by the next day i'm kind of i'm ready to attack it you know yeah. and it's just that saying that i live by man when the journey sucks that makes the uh, makes you appreciate the destination even more you know because it's the truth you know a lot of times that we want to be great but we want to do what great people do a lot of times that you know i, I tell my son this all the time you want to be a beast but you don't want to do what beasts do you can't, you got to fall in love with the process. You got to fall in love with everything that's in between the beginning and the end. 
mm-hmm. because that's truly what matters, right? Yeah, that passion. You got to have that passion for it. Yeah. You got to love. You got you got to want it just like you need air to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I feel all the time, like you know, once you get, I see you ever you ever you ever felt like you were drowning, you couldn't breathe, or you got or got the wind knocked out of you, trying to get your breath, and how bad you needed to get that breath because how uncomfortable, how bad it was make you feeling. That's how you got it. That's you got to want that just as much as you wanted that air. You got to want that to be. You got to want to be successful that much. And once you can get to that point, you're gonna be successful. Like you got to really care about everything that happens. Uh, that's in between the beginning and the end, because that's truly what that's truly what matters, you know. And that's really what's gonna sustain you when it's going to get tough, because you're gonna always be able to tap back into that process, because the process teaches you. It's never just a you know a straight line. It's ups and downs. And no matter what you do, it's always going to be peaks and valleys. But your job is how do I maintain? How do I stay consistent through all of that? Right? Because that's character. At the end of the day, what are you doing when no one is looking? But more importantly, what do you what did you do when things wasn't going well? That's what I pay attention to. When I look at guys that were in, or, or players now in college, you know, and I look at the sideline more than I do the football in the game sometimes. Because when you throw that interception and you miss that tackle, when you go to the sideline, how's he acting? You know what I mean? Is he still upbeat? Or you pointing the fingers, he getting mad, he pissed off, walking, he don't want to sit with his teammates now. So I want to see how you respond after failure because I really truly believe we learn more from failure than we do success. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. I agree with that 100%. The challenge is what makes us. Yeah, but even when we fail, it's an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to look at it. And I just think that you got to have the ability to forget. You got to have a short-term memory because at the end of the day, if you do anything long enough, you're going to fail at it or you're going to make mistakes. So you got opportunity to learn from it and be better at it, you know? So, um, you know, and that's what the foundation, I'm just trying to really just do my part and just give back to these kids. And um, so when my day comes, man, they say I was an honorable ser- uh, servant that, you know, I gave back and I did my part. I put back just as much in this world as I took out of it. So it's important. Yeah. Giving back that is so important. And it's, it's the sacred seven core value of duty. It's, it's a duty to serve those that you can serve. And it's also uh, exemplary of the core value of honor. Henry is honoring the men who mentored him. He's honoring them by leaving a legacy that can be passed on. And you can really feel his commitment to his cause and to his foundation and to his community. And that, guys, that's pure love. And you can feel that in everything Henry says and does. And what I love is it's also the definition of the hero. You know, Henry has lived his warrior. He lived his king on the football fields. You know, he created his kingdom. Now he's stepping in to the hero, right, by selflessly giving back to those around him, by making sure they had the opportunities that he had to do better than what that neighborhood may hold in store for them, even if they aren't athletes, and I really want to wrap this up now by, by going back to what Henry said about integrity, about watching how men react on the sidelines after they make a mistake or a bad play. 
Um, you know, he watched their reaction. If they hung their head, if they threw equipment, if they laughed, if they sat by themselves. Now we can take that off the field and put that into any life situation, right? If you make a mistake at work or you're having an issue, an argument with your wife, your girlfriend, anything, take a look at how you respond. And you can take a look at how the people around you respond when they make a mistake or get in this situation. Look at is, is that in integrity with who they are as a person, right? Is the lesson being taken? Is there ownership and moving forward? Or are they just throwing around blame and shame and denial and excuses or fluffing it off as no big deal? So Henry's practice of, of looking at men on the sidelines to see who they are is a perfect lesson in how we can look at ourselves once the play is over and we're on the sidelines, right? Courage, honesty, integrity, all of those really, really important here. So I love what he said about watching men on the sidelines. So I want to thank Henry Crockett for joining us today, for being real, for being honest, and for telling us the story of his journey. And I want to thank you for listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes today. I'm Eric Rogel, and I'm honored to be with you, to be your brother by your side on your hero's journey. Thanks, guys, and I'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.